0: And it's everything you need to make a quality podcast all in one place. So, what are you waiting for? Download the free Anchor app or visit anchor.fm to get started. Jeffrey Piaget is an agricultural engineer, ag tech entrepreneur, and co-founder of SayTech, an agriculture and manufacturing company in Ghana. From his sophomore to senior year at the Kwame Nkrumah University of Science and Technology in Ghana, he worked on projects related to design and fabrication of portable soybean threshers, design and prototyping of a solar evaporation cooling unit for fruits and vegetables, and design of a vibrating seed cleaner. After serving for a year as an elementary teacher and mentor in a rural community without electricity in northern Ghana, he observed that parents usually came for their children during class hours to help them thresh their grains during harvest season. He decided that making machines locally would help students and their parents in areas like these across Africa. He convinced the friend to join him in this endeavor, and they began designing machines that would solve this problem and gave birth to SayTech. Jeffrey, welcome to the show. Welcome to this episode of season two of the Where's the Funding podcast. Before we get into the interview with our guests, I would like to shout out Endgame, the strategy company in Abuja, Nigeria. Endgame is an integrated strategy, technology, marketing, and creative agency that has been a great friend of the podcast. If you're looking for a strategy and marketing company to help you with your business, check them out at endgamehq.com. Now, let's get into the interview with our guest, Jeffrey Apighe. Jeffrey, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you very much, Michelle. Thank you very, very much. Very grateful for the opportunity.
0: Thank you so much for joining. And so, tell our audience a little bit about you and your company, Stated.
1: Sure, sure. Once again, thank you, Michelle. Thanks for this wonderful program. I believe it's one of the things that is very particularly needed in Africa for startups and entrepreneurs like myself. My name is Jeffrey appier Jane. I'm the co-founder of SayTech, where we build smart agricultural machines and also provide service with these smart agricultural machines to improve the productivity of smallholder
0: farmers. So when you say improve the productivity of smallholder farmers, tell us what you're talking about. What are the challenges and the pain points that SayTech is solving with this technology? What are the challenges and pain points that
1: farmers have now, and what's your solution? Thank you. Our current solution is a multi-crop treasure ST6000. That does address the challenges of farmers from harvest in the post-harvest space. Now, the current problem we tackle is the threshing problem. That is filled with a lot of drudgery often done by women and children. In fact, children have to miss their school in order to be on farms. And So I is, read,
0: let me stop you for a second. I read somewhere that you were a school teacher. And yeah. it's while teaching these students in the rural part of Ghana, that you yeah. sort of recognize the impact that having yeah. people work on the farm with their parents was having on their education. And you thought, let me think of a solution that can help to reduce, as you say, the drudgery of working on the farm in terms of the amount of time it takes and the amount of resources it takes. So not just the parents' resources, but the resources of the children and the impact that that has on their education. And that's what sort of springboarded your idea to create this, this solution, correct?
1: exactly exactly you're right (laughs) that's very very true so i served in a rural community without electricity and saw that challenge and so that's that's when we we decided to do this so So why do you
0: think that you were the person the right person to bring to market this solution to solve that problem
1: um the thing is it was necessary it was it was a call of necessity, let's put it that way. And uh, um, I actually also have a background in agricultural and biosystems engineering. So um, I wasn't actually supposed to be a school teacher, but I chose to volunteer in that area because nobody does it. So I volunteered a year of my life to do that. So when I faced the challenge, actually my experience and my training, um, equipped me to help solve the problem because uh, I would also be working with local fabricators and then um, my current co-founder that time we I mean we didn't have any company so we had been working um, on solutions like that but uh, we didn't think we would start that way we I mean for that moment it was I was just doing a volunteering service and uh it, it just happened too much that the experience and the skill level could solve the problem so
0: so walk our listeners through the point where you recognize a problem teaching in the schools with the students having to go work in the farm you have this background in um, bioengineering and technology and engineering and how did you get from idea
1: where you are now, and how did you find your co-founder? Sure, sure, sure. I'll start with how I found my co-founder. Um, we were both uh, class reps in in school, in, in university, so we knew each other. Um, in while in school, and you know, did a couple of things together. Um, but and already we were um, using computer-aided design to provide some level of solutions, but he was doing that particularly um, to some for fun and others for low low level uh, people before the volunteering time. So now when um, the day which this problem, I mean, I was faced with this, I had gone to school. Um, there was this credit. Um, The school I was, they didn't have crutch. (laughs) They just started from like grade five, no, sorry, grade three. So when I was there, I said you needed crutch. I think for all
0: the listeners, crutch is, I think that's what, kindergarten?
1: Yeah, kindergarten.
0: So this school actually starts at grade five. So it's almost the end of primary school. (laughs) Grade three. Oh, it starts at grade three. Okay.
1: Exactly.
0: So it's three to five, grades three to five.
1: Yeah, great. Yeah. So I go, there, I'm like, who starts a school at grade three? How do they know anything? So I start uh, like in the garden and basically I put together whoever is ready to go to school till grade two in that class. So and actually it was um, they sat on the floor <laughs> in, in quite a, some buildings <laughs> and And so my class could number about 200 people because it was almost all the children from the community and the communities around Mm
0: -hmm. who were
1: ready to start school all the way from kindergarten to grade two. So it's a lot of people.
0: Did you know that you were going to get that turnout when you decided to do that? Or did you do it and then you were like, oh crap, this is more than I thought?
1: Well, it was more than I thought, but I was still happy about it, yeah. Funny enough, it was was a funny story. The truth is, I couldn't speak their language. They couldn't speak their language as to how I managed to teach them. I
0: mean, don't you think being able to communicate (laughs) with them is important for being able to teach them? (laughs) So, how did you get around that that, that challenge?
1: Well, well, I was able to teach them. I don't know, but I taught them. Uh, They learned, a couple of them learned to write, learned to recite stuff. Yeah. What I think think, I'm
0: learning about you so far is that you're a problem solver and you know how to work your way around a challenge. And so that led you to now say, okay, what more can I do beyond just teach these students? How can I solve an even bigger problem, which is a problem of farming and low productivity in Africa? Um, which is a problem that's widespread and well-known. And part of that challenge is that there isn't enough local industrialization of farm mechanization across the continent or that is available locally and at a price that is available for a lot of the smallholder farmers in particular. So tell us specifically, what is so special about what Statec is doing and the challenges and opportunity, the challenges it's solving and the opportunities that you're creating for smallholder farmers in Ghana and the potential to scale beyond Ghana.
1: Thank you. Thank you very much for the question, Michelle. So I'll start this way. So the reason I got into this was a. One time I go to class and I find like two two people in the class. And I go like, why, where is everybody? They tell me they're on the farms helping their children. So that was when um, I said, "I mean, we can build these machines here. We have local people who can weld stuff around in communities close by. So why don't we build our own machines locally so we have these children be in school? So that's how we started. so we now build the machines locally, um, providing jobs for local artisans. And what we do is we, we use our experience in um, computer-aided design and working back with the farmers and the local artisans, make the machines, of course, some of them do exist elsewhere, but we make them here locally to suit the farmer according to how they want it. Now, we don't just sell the machines, we also make machines and serve farmers with it. They, so they don't have to purchase the machine, but they can just use as a service. So
0: it's a fee like, service. Please you say? It? A fee service, they just pay a fee to use it.
1: Yeah, and they don't have to pay cash. They can pay in grain or in cash. The beautiful thing is that without our machine, the farmers lose on average of, uh, in, in dollar about five dollar per um, 100 kg bag. yeah about five dollar per 100 kg bag but with our machine they save, they save that five dollars and in percentage is thirty percent and they only they get to pay us ten percent of, of, of that And so it's, it's a very fair deal for the farmers especially when they are paying us in green. So that's how we make them locally. And then we're also able to service them in time, readily, homegrown with them. And then we continue to grow with them and other local fabricators, building the manufacturing industry, and then feeding our production right into agricultural um, mechanization and solving problems for farmers that also go ahead to now get the children in school. Um, So you're basically
0: solving um, several problems at the same time.
1: Exactly, and it wasn't the intention. (laughs) We just wanted to (laughs) make the machines locally.
0: (laughs) So so (laughs) tell me, so I know that there's a job creation element to this. What are your results so far in terms of, you know, people who've been trained, um, as fabricators, because I know there are already local fabricators, but probably yeah. more um, apprentices being trained in that, and what kind of job creation opportunities have come out of, of this technology?
1: Thank you, thank you, thank you. So um, we, we worked with the Soyabin Innovation Lab as part of a, um, a treasure training, and for that, we've been able to train over 200 um, artisans on that. However, but whenever we make a single machine, (laughs) um, we work with different fabricators to make them. So we have, right now we have local fabricator shops that open just to attend to our business. And each shop have between five to 15 people on the minimum. And then while we make machine, we outsource parts, um, we outsource parts um, for machine shops, the people that carry them, I mean, the logistics there. It's it's a whole series of employment we create when we are in business, uh, making machines. That's just the machine making part. Then when we take the machine to serve farmers, each machine employs three people. Three young people actually. And it's also lucrative, it pays well. So, and most of these farms are in rural areas. So we have young guys who instead of migrating to cities to find jobs, pick, work and sell with these machines to serve their own farmers while they make substantial revenue. Even most of the times more than what other colleagues would make down in the cities when they go look for greener pastures. And so that is how um, it is um, with the job employment, the employment we we create.
0: I think that's wonderful. And it's a way of sort of bringing industrialization to the rural areas to create Mm -hmm. jobs that are keeping people in the rural areas and create economy in the rural areas that can give people a quality of life so that they don't have to migrate to urban areas in order to do that.
1: Exactly. exactly. Was,
0: was that a part of the intention when you started doing this or it's just something that just an opportunity that just came along? You're like, okay, if I do this, I'm basically creating an ecosystem, an economic ecosystem within these rural communities.
1: So what we knew was we just wanted to solve the problem and solve it with the local people we had. That was all. That's what we knew in the beginning. But as we grew, and so we made it a part of our strategy to always work with a circular economy. So even with growth expansions, we plan to work with other locals. So we always thrive on a circular economy. But in the beginning, we didn't know. We just wanted to solve the problem Mm -hmm. with locals around. Yeah. But now we,
0: yeah. So how many communities are you? installed in at the moment? And where, um, where
1: are they located, geographically in Ghana? So currently in Ghana, I think we have machines in every single region. We've had our machines in every single region in Ghana. And in each region, at least two communities. I'm not put it, I right, think, about uh, 16 times. About 32 communities in
0: Ghana. OK the Northern
1: parts mainly, but all across the the country.
0: And what has been the results so far in terms of uptake by the farmers?
1: (coughs) Thank you. Once the machine is there, the farmers prefer to use them. Because unlike other machines that are there, there are
0: other machines actually often have a lot of losses.
1: So one of the first things the farmers like about our machine is the losses are minimal. like literally people let's say bring other imported machinery they trash their crops and you don't blame them it's they had to design based on the um, what they knew but um, situations vary so that's one of our advantage we design them for the specific area used in other places so losses minimal then um in terms of efficiency and the cleanliness of the grain is way up there and so it gives farmers premium prices when they use our machinery so we have cases where farmers would say uh, maybe other people will come um, usually there are not machines are not there but farmers will still want to wait just to have our um, machine come to them because of, of of the it doesn't break the seeds you know sometimes making me, mechanization let's say providing machines is sometimes part of the problem and part of the solution but when you provide a machine that still breaks the seed of the farmer loses the cream of the farmer the farmer may use it but it's still um, a lot of problem for you know? so for these um things for the efficiency reasons of our machine the farmers just, just love it and i can link you to us over over several thousands of farmers that just want the machine to work well,
0: what are you learning about <coughs> what are you learning about farmer behavior during the time that you have been operating this business how long has the business been operational
1: um, we past two years we are in a are into going into our third year. Yeah. Um, the lessons have been a lot. Of course we have had to keep improving um, on the machines. Um, for instance, um, at the beginning it was very good for some crops and it wasn't good for some other crops. So we had to learn with the farmers and then, um, and different farmers have different harvesting practices. And for instance, that's still one of the challenge we still have, for instance, with rice. Yeah, so we have, you have to harvest a certain way for your machine to be, for the machine to work well. Or, and then, yeah, so, um, we also have to learn um, about some other, because um, different farmers in different areas harvest differently. So you know some of uh, those dicey things you get to learn, and then once you are working with the farmers, you make it for the way that they prefer it.
0: So let let's go back a little bit because the title of this podcast is "Where's the Funding?" So you guys were are fairly. <laughs> young. I'm
1: sorry, sorry. Sorry.
0: No worries. You guys are fairly young. You have this baby face. I don't know how old you are. I don't know if you want to hear, but for all the other young entrepreneurs on the continent who are engaged in business and are thinking about you know, where to find initial capital to solve a problem, because you started out by trying to solve a problem where did you find capital to start this business and solve this problem
1: sure thank you thank you for the question michelle so initially actually um we started off by choosing to design machines that we would work with other fabricators for them to make it while we make money of design but that didn't work for fabricators because you know we don't have a patent system that really works. So we later started making machines ourselves with the fabricators, but now we're in control of the process. But we were still able to pitch um, a design solution to a client and uh, the person bought into it and we took some upfront money to do a design work for the client.
0: So it when wasn't you a client,
1: you use you your code. So is it a client or was it an investor? No, no, no. It was a client, a customer. A client. Okay. And it was on the NGO side, you know. And we hadn't even registered a company yet. We just knew it was to do design. So we were like, yeah, we can do this design work for you, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. And like, yeah, can you do it? Yeah, we do it. Do how much time? This time. Then we convinced them, then. We actually didn't even have a laptop. So we convinced them to give us a part of the money. So (laughs) then when we are done, we take the rest. So when they give us a part of the money, we went to use it to buy the laptop to do the working. (laughs) So that was actually how we got first money. So we literally started with zero. And during that period, uh, my late mom, my grandma, were supporting me. As well as my co founder, we always so used to.
0: So, you had your friends and family investment.
1: Exactly. My co founder, too, had a mom um, supporting. Then, um, American Society of Mechanical Engineers um, gave us uh, a seed funding of uh, $10,000, and it was very instrumental um, to our change. And actually, after that was <coughs> when we decided to make the machine after the advice we had from them and then they also did a follow-up investment with us and uh yeah um hopefully i'm sure they will do another round of investment in. <laughs> so,
0: <they're> pro- <laughs> we, so they provided smart. investment as well as some technical assistance
1: yes 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 they provided grant support and, and technical assistance and uh um, we also got part of a accelerator called an uh, Impulse um, that is also going to help support us um, with with investments and yeah um, over the years. So we try and I mean within the startup there's so much to do, but we still try and and the thing about maybe writing you have to write <coughs> a lot about what you're doing to get it. Sometimes you just Will, we just feel like we could just come on the field and see what we're doing <laughs> but we have to write you know to get um, some level of um, support on, on the grant side but also so you we, have to
0: learn how to communicate what you're doing and exactly. do that in writing so whether you're writing for a grant you know and to let you know people who are interested in what you're doing as you're trying to bring on supporters or you know investors or whoever you have to have the ability to be able to communicate in a very clear way what you are doing because they're not always able to just come to the field and see what you're doing so you have to be able to communicate that in different ways
1: exactly well said well said (laughs) yeah so that's 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 it and then um then we also um over the time as we've growing, we found better people who can communicate and better. So we now work with them.
0: So you're help. starting to build a team now. You have to walk yeah. the people through the process. So you exactly. know how you started. You had your friends and family investment, you know, giving you money to start this business. Then you got a grant from the American Mechanical Society. Is, um, is that it? American
1: Society of Mechanical Engineers.
0: American Society of Mechanical Engineers. They provided a grant. They provided some technical assistance. You had that initial client who believed in you, even if you didn't have a computer to do the work. So it took somebody, you know, just to say, oh, okay, these guys seem like they can do the work. Let's take a chance on them. You did that. And now you're at the stage where you're starting to build a team. You're starting to bring on people who can do different parts of the business because running a business, even though it's a, sort of an industrial or technology business like well there are lots of different parts to it it's not just the, the fabrication of the machinery it, exactly. the original things and I realized that that in the background has something that it wants to contribute to this conversation <laughs> <laughs> to ignore it and keep going Yes, yeah,
1: Michelle <laughs> anyway anyway so basically that's that's where we are we are continuing to build a team and build a vision and uh well, and i would say trust in god and keep him working hard so
0: so i have a question for you so you know i got some feedback from an entrepreneur who well, you know a listener to the podcast and the concern was around you know, if somebody's an, an aspiring youth entrepreneur like you were before you started this business and I don't even know if, you know, you're thinking, okay, you know, I, I, I want to start a business, but where to start? You were trying to solve another problem, even though, you know, you had this, this technical background. I don't know if your intention was to go get a job in some kind of a technology company you go that route. And because you were teaching, you kind of got pulled into entrepreneurship because you saw an opportunity to solve a problem. But for an aspiring youth entrepreneur on the continent who has questions around things like dealing with discouragement, how would you advise such a person? What advice would you give?
1: Yeah, yeah. Of course, the uh, entrepreneurship journey is, is, is um, it's, it's filled with uh, um, a lot of discouragement um, along the way. Um, but uh, there are things that come, and so you must uh, be, be ready for it. And one thing is you must be true to yourself and uh, know your weaknesses, know your strengths, and... Uh, um, and, I, and um, know what you can change, know what you have to work on and know that some things only take time, yeah, to to get it right. So um, once the disappointments come, you have to, they won't come, but when you can't when you can't assess the situation, know what you can work on, know which, um, uh, I mean, some things are not in your control. So those ones you have to learn to identify them and let them go. <laughs> And then those that are within your domain, you um, and, and I personally have a philosophy that I try and put every blame on myself, even when it's clearly by other people. So I try and do what I can do. So as much as it's within my control, um, I'll have to do that one. And uh, once you're done with that, um, the rest is left with them. Uh, if it's people, institutions, that, that's, that's with them. But, you, I think you always must have that time to yourself and encourage yourself and um, maybe look up to some other people. Um, look up to, to believe in God, look up to God. And then, um, and also once you have that vision, um, continue to see the vision. Once you continue to see it some way, somehow it's world work, and just don't give up on it.
0: How about, and I I think this is also connected to discouragement, um, dealing with fear, fear of trying an idea, because this was an idea, right, before it became an actual product and a business. Um, How how does the person sort of push past that fear and then also connected to the fact that you might not know enough at that stage when you're starting about how to run a business? Because I'm sure that you're learning a lot about running a business as you're going Mm. through the process
1: of running a business. Yes, Yes, please, yes, please. Thanks for the question again. Um, So yeah, fear is always there. You always don't know. That's when um, maybe
0: That's when. Uh... Let's resume.
1: Yeah. Thank you. So, <clears throat> for for fear, fear will always be there. You don't act because there is no fear. <laughs> you you just have to face the fear. Um, you may not always know, but it is best to know as much as you can. But once you have very good information and um, of Let's give a typical case of maybe say my scenario of the problem and the need for the problem. Um, I think you go ahead, you can go ahead and once you are into solving it, you get to raise some bridges and you will cross it. But first, no world you you can know. But when the um, but you can also take all the time when you have to take the action, take the action, despite the fear, with the information you have with yourself, and be ready to learn along the way. The faster you make the mistake, the better you learn, and the better you become better to getting it right and taking away the fear, basically. So, I I would like to say, like um, stepping, taking the action is like uh, turning out a light in the dark. Let's say if you go into you want to get into a particular room and there are several rooms and all of them the light is out and you are scared of what you would see. I mean, you I mean you just want to maybe open one door and it's the right place. Um, the point is um you can just stand there and look at the gates without knowing what is in. But once you open the gates, let's say you are looking for um, let's say a pot of rice <laughs> or let's say a bag of uh, gold and if you never get to open a door and turn on the light you'll never get to see what's in the room but if you open the door of one room and you turn on the light and you, you see stones you have learned that stones is in that room so you can then move on to the other one faster and hopefully you get to the end of the solution better um, yeah So you just have to take the action most of the time, despite the fear. The fear will always be
0: there. So Jeffrey, how have you dealt with, you know, uncertainties in the market?
1: Yes. Um, So for my case, um, of course I I do learn. And um, before, I do learn and I learn about the trends of, things to happen. And uh, then you put some bets on some of these things that would happen and often do happen. <clears throat> but, and also, but you do so by also learning back on the uh, past, on the history of how things have been. And then you can also use it to forecast how things will continue to be for some time. Yeah, and so now when when you have these information and you also take um, advice you would be able to at least bring down your fears because you have some level of information and in um, you can now act towards it wisely.
0: What lessons are you learning now that you're doing it about building a team
1: it's a lot. And getting
0: the right team.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, getting the right team is, is always difficult. Um, and then first you must make yourself the right person too <laughs> because it's a human, human relation. Also, you must have to learn to improve yourself, learn to listen, um, learn to communicate it better, and communicate better. And then, um, then you look out for, for people who, are, who would be with your company, often in the early stages, for the vision. It is difficult to find, but uh, you still have to find it. And so um, a lot of people might come around, but um, in a scenario and in the case where many people um, Will just want to be around, but not everybody may want to. Not everybody buys into the vision, and that would come um, with the. Um, it'll come based on the interactions you have with them, and so it'll have to take time. So most of the times, um, when we are taking people, we often put them on probation to see um, how the work attitude and work ethics is, and for your attitude over time, definitely to show them. That's how we get to choose um, the right team members we want to continue with. This year your muted?
0: You're going into your third year. So as you're looking to scale and grow, what, what does your strategy look like right now for for the future? Where are you trying to go? Are you looking to fund release to support that growth? What's the strategy?
1: Yeah, yes, yes. Um, we are uh, speaking with a number of investors, yes. Um, but the strategy is to um, continue to sell uh, more farmers um, directly, um, not with uh, different machinery that we can uh come out with through research and development and um, that will be demand driven through lessons one we observe and also take from the farmers we continue to work with. And um, also continue to add a lot of smart integrations so that we can uh, also be able to remotely um, have a lot of data that would help our research and development work um, into making different equipment um, that serve and improve the productivity of small farmers. Do
0: you have any any plans of scaling beyond Ghana?
1: Yes please we, we do have plans of scaling beyond Ghana. Um, definitely.
0: And so what what advice do you give? <laughs> To, to other young African entrepreneurs like yourself around fundraising, if you're looking <clears> to <throat> fundraise the scale. You're in it right now. Um, What's what the experience that you're having and what advice do <clears throat> you <throat> Sure,
1: sure, sure. Um, I'll have to give the advice from my side. Um, I don't know if I'm the best person to be a communicator so I find somebody who is already done fundraising and I work with a person to help us do it. So that is my way because I've not gone that way before and uh, I don't, I have to learn to speak the language and and there are already people um, within who that's the job they do so I would recommend that you can focus on your part, speak with them, get the proper documentations together with them, and then um, let them lead the process while you 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 get, you get the job going. So that's that's the nevertheless you have to communicate, communicate, and, and that's, that's, that's that stuff. As I'm still working. excuse me
0: so what's the best experience that you've had so far since you started this entrepreneurship journey like what what are your what is your top high and what has been your lowest low okay
1: so this high i actually didn't see it it was my co-founder that saw it but it was i mean i had it this very same day and it called me excited But I had seen other uh, response of farmers that this one was particularly interesting. So we we sent a machine to a community and then we began to test it on the crops. So um, we put maize in the crop and the farmer was like, oh wow. See how it does the maize. You don't even have to remove the husk. You drop it in. This is very beautiful. Then they brought rice for the same machine. They drop it in. It did it very clean. Then the farmer began to clap. Oh, this is a very wonderful machine. It can do rice too. Then they brought soya bean. Then they drop it in and they did the soyabin too. The farmers began to clap and jubilate and jump around <laughs> as if the is a
0: <laughs> That must have been a great experience for you.
1: Yes, 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 yes. So it is. It kind of reminds
0: you and grounds you into why why you're doing this. And exactly. I think it's those sort of peak moments that keep you grounded when you're experiencing those valley moments. So, what has been one of your valley moments so far?
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. The valley moment, of course, would have to be with uh, people. Uh, I mean, sometimes you have to let people go um, when you appear in the team. And uh, so, some, I mean, some of those moments are sometimes very difficult. To, uh, um, the whole um, situation of how to handle it. It's, it's, um, it's, I mean, for me, that's, 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 that's one of it. It's, 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 it's still about finding the right people and then maybe having people that you, know, you, told you had these sort of agreements with, but then it doesn't turn out that way. And so because of that, when your work doesn't progress as it should, you know, and, then, yeah. it's, and sometimes you just have to let people go, and you wish it doesn't end up that way, but yeah.
0: Yeah, no, I think it's important to demystify people who are thinking of entrepreneurship about what entrepreneurship really entails. It's not just the high moments, it's mm-hmm. many moments that put together, and you hope that the key moments out. Way the valley moments, but the valley moments are there, and the valley moments are where you decide whether or not the peak moments are enough for you to stick around to keep doing what it is. And so, I want to go back before we close out the show to talk about funding and fundraising. You know, fundraising is not easy anywhere. Um, It takes a long time to raise funds. And I think there needs to be a better level setting of expectations, especially for aspiring entrepreneurs, people who are just getting into entrepreneurship, that raising funds or getting grants, whatever it is, getting funding for your venture, it takes time and that it also takes strategy. And, also, one of the messages that I'm trying to get out to people is not to just focus on finding funding, but focus on customers. Because your customers are also investors, right? Because the quicker you can get your product to market and get customers who are going to pay for your service, you can use that revenue from cash flow to incrementally invest in your business. So it's not just about external Investment. There are some things that you can do to try and grow your business organically. So, yeah. just to get that out there so that it doesn't seem like just about your ability to attract external funding because it's hard. Um, and you never know what external, this, this also depending on where you are geographically. Fortunately for mm-hmm. you, you're in Ghana, which is an Anglophone con- speaking country in West Africa. And in my experience, I found that. It, When investors, external investors, do even look to invest in West Africa, they tend to flock to the Anglophone-speaking countries over the Francophone-speaking countries. So you are in a more more privileged um, situation than your peers in some of the surrounding countries. But even so, it's a competitive environment and learning how, like you said, to be able to communicate about your business in a compelling way. It's not just another thing like, oh, if they just come and see well, they can come. Especially now in this environment. Exactly. A compelling picture. And if you're not the one to be able to do that, how do you then go find the people? And if it even means paying them, because you have to pay people for your services. You have to pay to play. So you have to be willing to invest in your business and invest in your own growth. It's not always just going to compute. It's not just development, it's not charity, it's a business. And so there, it requires a different shift in the thoughts and perceptions of how you go for in, in, in running this business and looking for funding. And so now that you're looking to see how to, to scale, and I know that you have desires to scale beyond Ghana, what what's your strategy in terms of how you are putting together a compelling story about what it is that you're doing and how to communicate that story to different types of potential investors whether that's angel or venture or private equity or whatever you are pursuing
1: yes 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 so i must say that i recently was part of a program an accelerator um, by InnoHub hub and uh, and other accelerators and through that we've been able to also have a couple of documentations that uh, we present to different kind of uh, investors, whether it's even grants impact investors venture capital or, or different people so, um, or angels investors yeah. and the point is um, we, we within the strategy we have uh, defined our business, understood our business to know which um, which uh, group of investors are more um, attractive and to what we are doing and are more interested to what we are doing. So that is also done. So we, of course, have a list of the uh, investors, We, but it's not all of them, we've reached them yet. No, so you also, have to begin it strategically, you know. You sometimes reach out to someone there, you know, to try and build friends. So it, I mean, most, even though you must have a good business, but you also must have a relationship um, with your potential That's investors. So that is one of the things. So even though they might be on your list for the past six months, you you could sometimes invest a whole year into just building a relationship before you. Even talk about what you're doing. Well, even more
0: than a year, it it really takes time, and no deal is done until it's actually done. Because you could invest an entire year building a relationship, and it still doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't actually lead to 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 a deal where they they fund you or they invest in you.
1: Exactly, exactly. So that's that that's the strategy we have. Uh, different communications, and we keep them. Um, updating our documents based on the field, of course. We keep making more um, equipment. Um, last year, we actually just made uh, five equipment, but the, sorry, last two years, we made five equipment. and Last year, uh, before the end of the year, we were over 42, we done over 42 to, to serve farmers. So, and each machine sell between um, from 70 to 150 farmers per, per season. So that's how can we be able to reach more farmers with, with the machine. So we keep updating our um, um, our traction in, in, in timeline in a way that um, it's compelling to different interests.
0: Well, Jeffrey, thank you so much for taking time to come on the podcast and, and talk to us. And, and most importantly, talk to your peers who are, you know, other African entrepreneurs. This platform is to give entrepreneurs like yourself the opportunity to share your entrepreneurship journey and talk about, you know, where you fund found funding and and your strategy to, to scale and grow your business. So thank you once again for coming on the show. And I'd also like to thank our for listening. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the WTF Africa Edition podcast. We would love to hear your feedback on the show and how we could improve. So please complete this short survey. So check out the show notes. If you would like to be a guest or sponsor the podcast, please contact us at funding at gmail.com. You can find us on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe, stream, download, rate, review, share, all of those things um, with your friends and family and other people who might like the conversations that we're having on this platform. Make sure you follow us on social media. Um, Follow the WTF podcast on Instagram at where's the funding podcast and follow the WTF Africa edition podcast on Facebook. Follow your hosts, Michelle McKenzie and Lydia Nylander on LinkedIn. Join us for the next episode.